and welcome back. How are we getting on? So today we're joined by a lad who's probably done everything. If ever there was a lad who did everything, it was him, uh, Andrew Drury. So you may know him from Dark Tourist, but uh, I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, Dark Tourist, yeah. Well, uh, kind of that, I mean, Dark Tourist kind of defined my travel. But to be honest, the Dark Tourist episode I did was a bit wussy, really, to what I do. I mean, it was a sad, sad thing, and I found it a really emotional journey. Um, but my life's not kind of defined by dark. I mean, most of my trips are generally involve war. Um, Kazakhstan was a bit different. Fu funny enough, um, filming Dark Tourist, it was going to be in, um, in the Donbass, um, because that was the area I wanted to go. I wanted to take... Um, David into a place that would actually shit, he'd shit himself in. Because I think most of the, I mean, he did some incredible stuff in, in that show and the vampires and places he went and with the dead and that, but I wanted actually to scare the arse off of him. Because I think, um, he was frightened of that, but I think if I'd taken him to the Donbass, he would have, you know, Ukraine, that area where you've got the war um, in, in Donbass region. And that's the original plan, but Netflix uh, don't think we're happy to get shot at. So David and David's insurance was too high. So Kazakhstan was kind of second. Um, so that's the truth. But I mean, I found that more harrowing, funny enough, about than wars. I felt seeing children suffering. You probably saw me in tears. I mean, yeah. <laughs> which is for me, I'm still quite shocked by it now. I mean, I've seen people shot and killed on the front line. I've seen the mass battles, and people say, do they, does anything haunt you? Do they haunt these images of people dead or? or suicide attack, or when I've seen someone, um, I don't like them saying, I don't know how adult this podcast is, but seeing somebody um, blow themselves up under a suicide attack and see what's left of that. Those images don't ever stay with me, but the images of children dying in an um, orphanage will always stay with me, they haunt me now. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, isn't it? I mean, you'd, you'd have thought it'd be the other way around, um, but the innocent is always, always the victim. I found in all the travels. Yeah, I suppose with the rest of them, they all had a had a choice in getting there. But with the kids, they're so young, they're so innocent, and it's yeah. it was nothing to do with their fault. It was just the fault of others. Yeah, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna drop a atomic bomb close to a, a city, I'm sure the Russians never knew that was going to happen. I'm sure they didn't think that the the fallout would affect humans. I'm sure that wasn't part of their testing and their thoughts, but they still did it. So you yeah. can read between whatever you want. But it, it was a great trip. I mean, David's a real cool guy. He really is. He's a good... I mean, I've been with German presenters. I've been with Danish presenters. He is the biz. Dave, and what you see with David, there's nothing hidden. He is. People say, yeah, does he act on camera? He's, some people, they say they didn't like him or didn't like his way of presenting. But he's a shit old guy. He's brilliant. Um, yeah. It was great to be with. He followed my trip with me, didn't complain. Um, but he didn't have as good hair products as me. His hair products were utter shit. His hair is a mess. Um, <laughs> I, did, did, I did tell him that on a few occasions, so it fucking hair out, man. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask how you got to Kazakhstan, uh, but obviously that's decided. But how did you even get in contact with him? Like um, listen, mate, if you, uh, if you look search on the internet, um, he, he wanted different, um, for, his, for his show, he wanted um, sort of different characters. He did loads of different things and shit. And I suppose if you look for a dark tourist or a tourist of this degree, you'll search. And if you wanted to find me, you'd find me. You've probably done research for this podcast. 
Um, and you'd see I've done loads of places. And he wanted to be taken out of his comfort zone. Um, so that was my job. And hopefully I did achieve it because I nuclear the arse out of us. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was one hell of an episode. Yeah. I said it was one hell of a trip. Like, I'd never think of going to Kazakhstan. Ninth biggest country in the world, but <coughs> there you were swimming in nuclear wastewater. Good on you, good on your research, you know, ninth country, I ain't got a clue. Just now, don't, don't do research like that. Um, but yeah, the nuclear water, I, even I didn't want to do that. I got totally pissed out of my head. So to actually do that, I had to drink. I didn't really want to go in there. It wasn't because the nuclear waste, it was because the water was cold. And, oh. and the fish, they <laughs> were just... Yeah, oh, he says go, that yeah. you were convincing them to get in. Yeah, I, I got pissed. So we, I don't drink too much. Well, at all, really. Um, but I did almost a bottle of vodka. Um, Funny, but, you know, off camera, we were just swigging it back. I mean, Dave is a really good swimmer, so he's looking forward to getting in. But I, I was not happy at all about it because it, it was quite cold and, and shitty. Um, and they told us that as long as you didn't go down a metre, you wouldn't catch anything. But I was kind of looking at my body. My body's kind of longer than a metre. I might well have at least dipped my toes in the radiation. And there was also rumours that two-headed fish were being dragged out of the water and they were eating it. I asked the question, but we had this Russian guy um, that was kind of, oh, I don't know, a tall leader. And he, he was talking out of bollocks and said that, you know, the water wasn't radioactive, which is totally shit. Because we had the Geiger count, it was going off the scale. It was worse than the Japanese ap episode, actually. That was the highest readings of, um, yeah. of, uh, of radiation. I mean, I was first tourist in Chernobyl as well, as you know, just let you know. I went to Chernobyl before anybody made it popular on TV series. I went about 15 years ago when... It really was nuclear. Um, so I must have some sort of shield, I should imagine, by now. Mm. That's why COVID's not touching me. Fuck COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID. Immunity been... to it. COVID's probably put <laughs> yeah. a stop to yourself right. so far. Sorry? I say COVID's put a stop to your uh, your trips this year. Um, no, we. Um, I'm filming um, this film, which the Americans have funded. It's about, kind of about, it's called um, Danger Zone. At the moment, that's the working title, and it premieres, I think, California around about June, July. So I'm off to Somalia in 10 days. I'm off back off to Mogadishu um, because we've got to get this film done. So I don't know. And the Somalians say they've got no COVID at all, um, which obviously is a lie, which is total bullshit, but because they don't record it. Yeah. I was telling Thomas, it's one of the places in the Stands episode, Turkmenistan, it's one of the only countries in the world that didn't get COVID, that's what I say. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, if you look up countries with zero, it's the only one that's there. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I'm sure he's telling the truth. He rides a gold horse, and uh, I'm sure he's telling the truth and likes to shoot things in a hobby. So, yeah, I'm sure he's right. Yeah. I'm sure he's got no. And I think North Korea's only had two. I think they're COVID-free at the moment. Are they? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, he, he announced it. For, he came back from the dead for a couple of minutes to say that they... They're completely COVID-free because he's died once or twice this year already, hasn't he? Yeah, he's died oh, twice. That <laughs> place, oh, I was a bull. Um, that place, in, when I was in North Korea, um, going back about sort of 10, to, once again, before that was popular, kind of, I'm not saying I did before anybody else, but they, these particular ones I did. And that, that was a great trip, that was, North Korea. That's an unbelievable place to visit. Um, well, tell us about it, man. Well, I tried it. Um, <laughs> funny enough, we, we got there in the middle of the night and they're kind of, go for a curfew period so everybody um kind of goes back to their houses no street lights no shops no nothing and we landed 
um, and our mobile phones and everything else got taken up off of us but I had my iPad because they didn't understand what an iPad was. So I tried to really ruin. There was a young girl there that she had not, she hadn't even heard of the Beatles. She was about 18, 19 and she was an escort. Um, so we kind of fucked about with them and tried to escape quite a few times from the hotel. But, so I tried to um, induct her in a bit of Beyonce that my um, wife, I said my wife, I didn't know, it was mine. But there's Beyonce and I, she was in shock um, how decadent the West is. But we got come off um, Pyongyang, got taken to an island um, where, where this golf course is on. And obviously the, they said the Imperial leader had scored nine hole-in-ones on the nine hole course. They're all convinced. And this hotel is on the island we all get ushered to. Um, 13, and that's it, it's about 15 floors. And you've got chaperone everywhere you go. Um, so we've been, and we went into the lift with our two chaperones and our floor was the 15th. Um, and there was a missing floor, which was 13, it went 12, 14, 15. So the 13th floor is oh, their yeah. listening zone. You probably heard this before. Mm. You go in the rooms, it's bugged. We found all these 1970s bugs in the room. So we spent four or five days fucking with the head, um, pretending we're going to leave, going back to the room, pretending we're going to leave, go back to the room, just trying to fuck them out, trying to escape. But we thought that we we're probably going to get ourselves into a bit of trouble, so stop that. But the whole, the whole trip was unbelievable, you know, like roller coasters. You wouldn't believe North Korea has got a roller coaster, would you? It's made out of wood. It's made out of wood, and it's fucking scary because all the tracks part when you cross it but they take you to kind of these areas. And in Pyongyang, they have barbecues in the forest, hidden from the general public. So people are trying to escape the system. The shittest magic show on earth um, is there. Uh, a magician makes a helicopter to disappear um, with rope. And it's so bad, you can see the rope. Anyway, it doesn't sound like a great story, but that's kind of North Korea. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You've heard some horrible stories of tourists being there and they take like a poster or something. Yeah, and then... yeah. And, um, I actually did an interview for ABC News about eight, um, Otto Warmbier. Um, he was the guy that um, obviously supposed to got beaten up when he got to got home. He, he, he stayed in the same hotel as us. So I don't believe it. I think it's a conspiracy. So if anybody's listening to this, don't believe the shit you hear. Because I stole loads of stuff. Um, I actually stole more, and I don't steal in my life, but I stole so much from North Korea because it's good to have memorabilia. And I'd have been all over the cameras like Otto was. So I think it's a load of bollocks. I think there's more to that story than meets the eye. Um, and I, and I, I said that to ABC News. I just think it's shit. I don't think it, I think yeah. he was either used by the North Koreans as a hostage to the Americans or something else happened between Pyongyang and the States. Because... Mm. People are nicking, tourists there all the time nicking stuff. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I hope uh, Supreme Leader ain't listening right now. Oh, fuck him. <laughs> oh, no, he's a big he's fan probably, of the he's podcast. Dead, though. I wouldn't say yeah. that, man. Not well, you want to podcast him? Oh, he's, oh, no, he's a big fan of it. Like, he, he tells I'm us sure, he watches sure it the whole thing. Oh, God. Actually, <laughs> I, I actually reckon he's a Joe Rogan. I like him, actually. I think there's a little bit of Imperial oh, Leader in you. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> no, that guy is uh, mental. I don't even know if he's alive. They've been saying he's been dead since January, but then he's also like appearing back every now and then and dies again. Well, he, 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 I mean, you can go and see his grand, um, his grandfather. He's been dead a long time. He's out in state. He looks like plastic. You go and watch, look him, find him if you want. So that was, that's one of the day out is to go and look at his grandfather's dead body. It was a great, great day out. 
this wax plastic image. Um, so they never die anyway. Weird. Yeah. yeah, they are weird. Um, like they're, they're viewed as like godlike there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There was a German guy, German reporter, when we were there, which was just locked up. So there was, you know, a bit of shit going on because he accidentally, because Germans like smoking cigars and cigarettes, as we all know, is a German hobby. Um, they, he accidentally inflicts cigarette ash or cigar ash on the imperial leader's head. The cleaners found it and reported him, and he ended up getting locked up because he just had put um, cigarette ash on the imperial leader's head. That's a true story from a Ger German journalist. Christ. When we were there. Jesus, man. Yeah. He got out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> started, well you think it's a bit like the dictator. Remember when it's just like... <laughs> it is. Movie, the dictator. It's, it's exactly <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. But there was no... I don't understand. People say it's so scary going there. Do you know, I've never felt anywhere safe in my life. <laughs> I mean, going from there, um, I think I was in... I think we were yep. in the... from Our trip before that was a Taliban training camp in, in Pakistan. So I'm going there thinking... And going to the oven too, and, and kind of referring back to both of them. I mean, North Korea was like going to Marbella. Yeah, no offense, but like you saying it made you feel safe means nothing to me. The <laughs> yeah. shit you've done. My, yeah. my degree of safe. Yeah, that made me feel bit. safe. <laughs> yeah, my degree of safe is not, not the same as anybody else's. I mean, um, and people said that all the time, but I mean, I could, you could go to North Korea, you'd be all right. It's what most yeah. of the stuff's in your head in places like that. But in, in Iraq, it's not. I mean, I, I've been back from Iraq about nine months. I've been there three times. and it, No, four times. And every time I've been there, I've been close to danger. So I've been shot at, been taken hostage. Um, I've met with um, ISIS brides. Um, been in loads of shit. Um, yeah, it's an some, of your pictures, some of your pictures from like Somalia, uh, Iraq, uh, wherever. They, they look hilarious because you just look like a st standard tourist. But then in the background, there's two lads with AKs, there's uh, yeah. lad, I don't know. It, well, it looks crazy. Well, most people say, you know, why'd you do it? And I can tell you a reason. The ISIS attack, um, if, I, if I can take you to that and how that happened, that um, was in Kirkuk. I mean, it, 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 we, I was um, searching front lines with the Peshmerga two days before that. And there was nothing happening. So I kind of, I wasn't disappointed because getting there, because I could see ISIS flags, I could see in the distance signs, experience being on the front line with the guys. Um, but it was a bit disappointing because I suppose you've gone that far, you want to see something happen. I mean, I don't want to die because I like, I like my life. None of this is about dying. I haven't got a death wish. And I'm not stupid because my fixers, I can't be stupid because CNN, ABC News, contact me for fixers. TV companies ask me for my fixers. Because I know what shit I'm doing. I take risks, but they're educated risks because I know what's happening. I researched the area three or four days before. So I know what shit's going on. But this day, I didn't. We, I was kind of ducked down in Kirkuk. Was at this time, ISIS had taken over Kirkuk. Do you know Kirkuk, where it is in the world? I don't know if you study Iraq. Well, uh, Kirkuk, no, not really. Well, Kirkuk is, um, is a large area in Iraq, which is con was controlled during the war by the Americans, took control and policed it badly. That was where I think probably pretty much the Americans lost more of their troops in Kirkuk than anywhere. Um, but they they left and left it with Iraqi forces that aren't that great because um, they haven't been paid for one. They sell their guns. As, um, anyway, that's another story. So driving through Kirkuk, um, trying to find a front line. And it? it's not like you go to 
find a restaurant or something, Max were trying to find a, and got lost in Kirkuk. And if I'd been found in Kirkuk, and it's a large Iraqi city, then I'd have been taken hostage. I was in ISIS control, so we were, were deep down the back of the car trying to hide. Um, we got lost, and my driver and fix was asking for directions. It's not a place when I ask for directions. You, oh, by the way, I'm lost. Do you know where the front line is? How does that conversation go? I don't speak the language, so I presume that's what he was saying. And we found, lucky enough, a Turkmen TV. Um, Turkmen, uh, Turkmen are kind of descendants of um, Turkish, as you can see, Turkmen descendant. And they're part, they're a, a tribe within Iraq, and they have their own TV. So we found a news crew, and the news crew said there was a happening, um, front line happening. Now we could hear it. You could hear mortar fire. So we followed him and followed him and we got access because they thought we were part of the media, otherwise we wouldn't have been out there. There's no way they let myself get closer, we're just lucky. And as I entered, it's a long road full of tanks and you know, gunfire and water fire were happening. So it's the closest I got, I knew it was real. Um, my heart was pounding, although strangely enough, when you get into that area, you're not scared. Well, I wasn't and, and perhaps you wouldn't be because I think your body takes over and you knew, I knew something was going to happen. And when I entered the area, which is the furthest point of the front line, and we we're about, I think about a thousand metres from the ISIS, so it was that close. Um, and as I got there, there'd been a suicide attack. So a guy was on a JCB where he blew himself up. Um, and I got out of our vehicle with Turkmen TV. They gave us... Um, body armor because I never wear body armor but he said you've got to wear it here because you could get killed um, and the first thing I saw and I, as I say I don't like saying it because we're on um, a podcast and I don't I mean, it's, not, it's not a uh, kitchen oh, God, no. in that case uh, we, well, we got out of the car zero percent in that uh, yeah group. so I got out of the car and then was surrounded by um, the soldiers because obviously there was inquisitive about me as I am about them because what's this stupid fucking English guy come to an active front line where they've just had a chemical attack and a suicide attack? The first thing I saw was the head of the guy that blew himself up was on the ramparts as a warning. And we're standing talking and the guy next to me has kicked this thing, looks like a ball. It was the guy's stomach. So you're talking, I mean, it's, that's what I'm saying, the graphicness mm -hmm. of the front line. And it's important to say that because you become aware that you are now in a place maybe that you've been seeking from for most of your traveling time to experience, but then you're there going, fuck me, I've got kids at home. So at that point, yeah, your heart has pounded and you start thinking about what you shouldn't do. And then the gunfire starts again and you start to calm down and you go into a different, and I imagine soldiers do that, but when it happens, they forget about and their survival instincts come rather than any memories. Um, but out of that, before the actual major attack happened, when I reached there, I got chance, and this is quite an important statement. This is the stories like being back. I started speaking to the soldiers and I went into a sniper pit um, of this Abbas militia, and that's what they were called. And I spent two, about two, three hours in this hole, with this sniper, and he was telling me his story. And this is what people don't hear back at home. They hear about our soldiers. This guy, was looking through the sight of his sniper rifle at his house. And he was looking and his children and his wife were being held by ISIS, raped, perhaps murdered and killed. And he had to look at that every day for a sniper rifle. So these are the stories. And he was telling me, um, 
he was hoping his, his children were killed and his wife might be killed so they wouldn't be raped or abused. So when they could be, you know, the seriousness of people's, I mean, I laugh and joke about what I do, but that's the seriousness of war and that's the seriousness of what you do. And to be able to tell this guy said, when you go back and you tell my story, and I have several times, because this story is important. And we sometimes, when we see people in the UK or people, foreign people walking the streets, you go, oh, fuck off home. But believe me, you want to be one, want to be in their home. You really wouldn't. So I spent time with him and it was quite an emotional time because I've got kids. And he was a, he wasn't a soldier, he was a school teacher. That was his job back at home. Oh. And so he's gone from school teacher, he's been driven out by ISIS. No one gives a fuck. Um, I, I, I did and I do now because I went back to find him um, after a couple of years later. So that's another story. Um, so I spent time with Sniper Pit and there was a car between no man's land and ISIS um, had um, rigged up with bombs. And the Abbas, which were on the side of the Iraqis, and I went to try and detonate it um, because they, they thought they're going to come back dark at night, drive the car, suicide bomb, and blow the front line back up, which is a massive, proper militarized front line. So that whilst they were there, ISIS um, saw them and they, they started shooting them, and one of the guys got shot and dragged back. Um, and then the big attack happened. Um, I think our lot mowed down about 15, 20 of them. So that's, that's the reality of war. Yeah. But it's funny enough because the feelings at that time is in seeing death and destruction, um, although that was the first time I saw it, wasn't really, didn't really daunt me. It felt excited. And I, I come back and I try and question that now, why I felt that way. I think it's the adrenaline because I didn't sleep for three or four days and my wife didn't speak to me for about three or four weeks. Um, I was editing the footage because the story got bought already. Because as soon as I had back, I was on... Um, most news channels um, yeah. because I suppose you can see some prick goes to front line from England it's the same old story but like I say when they say to their wife and children I say this guy that I was with deserves this story um, to come out and so do the other people um, and I left there and I've left there and I've left I forget about the death apart from the story I'm telling you but what I do remember is this guy in the sniper um, hole looking for his kids um, and looking for his family. I don't know if he ever found the family because I went back to the village. But ironically, out of that um, militia, I've got this picture. I think at least, well, you'll see this in the film, about three or four of them were killed that I spent time with. So that's the reality right. of war. So it can't be glamorized. But I always believe when they ask me, you've got Ross Twat Kent, he goes out there and doesn't do it for real on a scripted stuff. He don't bring these stories back. He just brings Ross Kent get shot at. And that fucks me off. Because yeah. um, his story is more important than mine. My story is just a, a guy that does these things. Um, you know, people like you make me realise how soft everyone's gotten. Well, let me, let, I'll tell you another story in Mosul. You've heard of Mosul in yeah. Iraq. Mosul was the most um, largest city, Mosul, you saw in the news in Iraq. It's massive. Anybody who listens to this podcast will, will know Mosul. Mosul, where it was a stronghold of ISIS and the ISIS leader was held in Mosul. It's a massive bit. You've got to know Baghdad. Mosul's like yeah. that, just outside. And I went in there, um, and it was where there was street-to-street fighting like never before. Like, the Iraqi forces went in to fight ISIS. It was street-to-street. And I, if you look on... I don't know if I've ever produced a video, and I probably have. I might even send it to you, because it'll give you a good idea. And when you go into... Where do you live in Ireland? Uh, just in the middle. Hopefully. 
Is so there many dead. people in your, Is there many people where you live? Probably not. It's about no. three people live in Ireland, isn't there? Ah, uh, well, don't you? We're all related, though, so it's all right. That's me, yeah, Tom, and there's a, there's a lad. We don't even talk to him, Mike. No, he's a dickhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there's this town. It's got, it's probably with about, about 1.5 million people. And I would tell you, um, so it's a big place. Yeah. And this part of the town where, where, where I went um, was ISIS were pushing and killing people from street to street. It didn't matter. And I met, and I, and I was outside videoing. And if you look at a broken down building, and what you see in there is like a doll. This is getting sad and it shouldn't be sad. I mean, you podcast, but it's in, if you do podcasts, it, it's, it's all forms, isn't it? You want people, when yeah. you look at this building and you see this doll hanging out of a wall with a cop and you're standing on this mound of stuff and a local comes over to you and says, um, that mound you're standing on only yesterday, and this was only last year, a year and a half after the conflicts, they dug four bodies, two children. So, and no one cares about this story. You come back here and they go, well, why were you going on? We got kids. And he's trying to explain. And then this story went on and I met this family, two uh, mother, father, four children, all of them had bullet wounds up their back and then their face because they were running across the crossfire between ISIS from house to house, oh, trying to avoid getting like killed. Sorry, I'll be back in a minute. Yes. <laughs> she called you for tea. Hi, Thomas's mom. Anyway. Hi, Thomas's oh. mom. <laughs> Keep going there. So yeah, so you've got, so those sort of stories, these kids were running from house to house, from fire to fire. So my trip started as a bit of a thrill seek, but these stories to bring back are, are kind of what I do it for. Um, like the man who was seen by his graveyard holding the hand. This is a story by one of my fixers. I won't get some morbid. I just tell you, um, it's important like getting a story out. And he was seen by my friend who was the fixer. He was um, digging a hole, burying a... Uh, a grave for his, this is the truth of story. And he was burying his, um, his daughter and he was holding the hand of his son. He was seen next day burying another grave and he was burying his son. So that's, that's war. So, and it's important, I mean, I won't glamorize it or give you the shit stories anymore, but that's kind of why I do it. To bring, yeah. in the early days, it was more about a bit of ego with mates down a pub, look what I've fucking done. Look at me, big hero. But now it's not, it's to kind of tell the story. Um, yeah. Quite harried, so you- isn't it? Yeah, you know, we're so spoiled. We're just so spoiled. And then there's this yeah. stuff going on in the world. And then we're all concerned about our feelings. Well, we <laughs> like, are. And if you look, if you look, and I said to you, do you know where Kirkuk and Mossel is? And you don't. And probably in Mossel, and why would you? Mossel probably had 100,000 people killed. Um, yeah. And no one really know, even know where it is on the map. And we think about our soldiers, maybe, which is rightly so, because, I mean, military forces are good. You lose about, I don't know, a couple of hundred, 250, 300 soldiers, maybe 500 got killed in the conflict. Over a million Iraqis got killed. And I'm not on anyone's side apart. I mean, I'm obviously on our own, but the the fact of the matter is this happens to humans. Mm -hmm. Um, But they go, you back, your mum let you have your tea. You've done now, have you... (laughs) <laughs> you should brought her in. She let her ask her a question. It'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was a funny conversation I had earlier trying to explain to my man what you do. <laughs> Who did uh, you yeah. try to explain that to? I tried to explain it to my mum. Uh, yeah. She's like, but like, why? That, that's basically her response. Like, why? Do you know what? 
you should get your mum up here to ask that question because I tell you what, the answer why is there isn't an answer because people right throughout the ages have been doing shitty, foolish things, haven't they? Like, yeah. um, I don't know, jumping off the end of the mountain or climbing a mountain and things like that. You need people and adventurers. That's what I am as an adventurer. And my story, would you be having anybody on podcast that just watch telly a bit? Mind you, they do that. They've got that fucking TV program. People get video watching telly, don't they? Yeah, Gogglebox. Well, you know, yeah, Gogglebox. What a shit idea that is, isn't it? But if you think about having someone on a podcast, you wouldn't be asking me if I was Joe Bloggs, would you? You wouldn't have these sort of well, things happen in your life. After, after hearing you first, after do a bit of research, find out what you've done and go from there. And your story, like, it's unreal. <laughs> it's it's well, honestly unreal. Those those sort of stories, um, kind of, that you know, that's just brief. I mean, I mean, my stuff goes back 25 odd years of doing st- sort of um, stupid trips and like the KKK. And that's because you're Irish, that's your fault. Um, I get bored with television, it's a bag of old shit in it, apart from Dark Tourist. And this film that you'll see out soon that I've made, the rest of the shit. But anyway, I was listening to a radio show in Ireland. This is how the KKK came out. Um, and they're a bunch of fucking nutters. But I, I, I listened to this guy called Reverend Travis Pierce on an Irish radio station late at night on DAB radio. And I heard he was coming on. I don't know how, because you Irish are fantastic you don't give a shit you ask any question and i and i, I love you a lot because you don't care how you ask it neither and this guy yeah. was giving him a hard, hard time but i kind of wanted to finish off what he was doing so reverend travis pierce um he lives in a place called compton in georgia i'm um, not compton that you would know not in compton that, yeah. that kind of stupid kind of music film it's another compton um and i want to track him down so i wrote him an email saying I was a kind of white supremacist and kind of building myself a profile up. He's a fucking knob yep. because you've only got to go on social media and you can find that most of my mates are kind of Somalian or Iraqis or, or Yeah, it's, it's, it's or, obviously not true. Like you just, you yeah. knew you had to give them this spiel to get them yeah. to talk to you. Mm. I get you. shit though. Totally thick. Um, but anyway, so you might, if you look on YouTube, you can find me ringing this, this, um, well, so I'm in Georgia trying to get the interview because I thought he was going to let me down. Um, so we got into the States, but first, you've seen the film Deliverance? I have not. You I think I've seen Deliverance. You've, it's the banjo boy. You've got um, let me look it up Squirrel Piggy Squirrel. You've heard Squirrel Piggy yes, Squirrel? Yes, 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 yes. And there, there's a banjo boy. There's a, play, a famous banjo song. Um, and there was kind of a deformed boy um, played the banjo. We wanted to hunt him down when I was there. And um, so we found him. And during the whole trip of trying to hunt, which we did hunt him down, we found his name's Billy Redden, by the way. Not much interest to, to the story, but I was ringing Travis every day. And, and he was going to back down and back down and back down. All the time I was going now, I thought, this twat ain't going to meet us. But we got to um, Compton and he was kind of fishing around a bit. We said desperately trying to beg him um, to come and meet us. And he said, he meets outside the hotel. We got it. And... We were surrounded by black people and this man, this big guy, um, his bodyguard turned up in the full KK outfit, um, which is quite embarrassing, isn't it? When you're standing in a hotel, which is run by sort of black Americans. So he turned up and we followed him to this place in the middle of nowhere. Um, and sort of these hidden names of the track. And we met this old guy, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan. Fucking unbelievable day. Um, 
my imagery is I'm driving up the lane and there's this little man looking out the window. He was only about four foot five. He was the big leader of the Ku Klux Klan. It almost pissed myself laughing. <laughs> You've blown him, it'd have fallen over, but he was quite a formidable guy. He's the only guy that's pulled a gun on me. Well, I've had a gun pulled me by security guards, but not with any intention. So we were taken into his office um, where we questioned him about the bollocks that he talks. Um, interview went on and he put a gun on the table and he said, if any funny move, this gun's for my protection and I'm not trying to use it. Um, and anyway, as it goes, we spent the day with him. He talked about his shit, um, talked us how, um, how the whites rule the world and why they rule the road, like about old shit as well. Um, and why does he, why do you think he thinks that way? Do you think it was like a parent, like a parent thing? Do you think well, he had like a bad, up, bad experience? Well, his, father was in, someone? his father was in the Ku Klux Klan. His children in the Ku Klux Klan. He lives in a redneck area. Um, and they're kind of born into it. He was an intelligent, he was a, he's actually a priest as well. He had fear, black fear, I don't know why. He said that, um, and so surprisingly enough, he showed us a list of people who was in the Klan, police officers, um, um, high um, government ministers, all in the Klan. So it still is quite a powerful thing. He told us a story of someone stole the chainsaw of his neighbor and they knew who it was. They just put a Ku Klux Klan um, business card through his door and the chainsaw come back. So down in the redneck country, they shit themselves with them. But funny enough, and he had his wife and his daughter, it was a, it was a strange relationship, it was. I mean, his, his wife looked about 12 and his daughter looked older than his wife. Uh, it, just a fucking strange situation. But I always remember his passing word to me as I left. And this is a fearsome man. Could, he, could I let him know what's happening in Downton Abbey? <laughs> as you leave the door, could, excuse me, could you let me know the update? Because you get Downton Abbey before us. So I said, I don't fucking watch the programme, mate. Um, so, Ku Klux Klan, love Downton Abbey and don't like polar bears. I like polar bears. No, I don't like polar bears. But, uh, well, I said, because they're on about uh, ecology, they don't give a fuck. They think that, you know, like, the planet's dying and polar bears and ice come oh, out. Yeah. And he said to me, I don't give a fuck about ice come out. He said, don't even like polar bears. So the Ku Klux, it's official. KKK, don't like polar bears. Yeah, but the sun, when I got home, the sun newspaper offered me a, a fuckload of money to go back um, to take part in a hooded ceremony. Um, they said we give you so much money. So I rang Travis Pierce. I thought, well, I'll have some of that money. I won't wear the hooded. I had this idea that I was going to burn it on the cross. I'd take this hood off and throw it on the cross that's burning. But I never got that far because I rang him and I said to him, look, I had a great time with you. Any chance to come back? And he said, if you come back and I ever see you in this area near me, I'm going to shoot you in the head. So, yeah, so I actually brag that the Ku Klux Klan want to kill me. Jesus, man. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Daryl Davis. No, who is he? He's a great guy. He converts he... Ku Klux Klan members. Does he? To, like, he, he's a black man, and he befriends them, and then they leave. Wow. And he's an awesome... He even goes to the meetings with them as a friend. Does he? Yeah, oh, yeah, he's amazing. Is that not the, the Black Klansman? Not, you know, no. That was a film, The Black Klansman. No, 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 that's, it's a different guy, but... Yeah, I saw this guy on, on Rogan. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I'll look him um, out. Yeah, yeah he's, he's awesome. 
so that was my time with the clan. There was loads of stories going with it, but I'd be here all night. If I told you the stories, you'd get bored and fall asleep all night. You start doing like a series. So you think bored. You think bored right now. <laughs> so you know? shit, shit comes out. So, I, I, but, so that's kind of what it is. So you can see what I'm saying. So it builds. I mean, if you watch a documentary, if you ever watch a documentary, you go, fuck, I'd love to go and experience that. But kind of difference is, I kind of think, I mean, if I see something, I like it, I'll go and do it. Um, yeah. With no fear. Would you ever do something in Ireland? Sorry? Would you ever do something in Ireland? In Ireland? Yeah, like you have the IRA, you have the uh, UVF. Um, it's, it's never... I, it's not exactly I, dark, but it's still like... Yeah, it, when, I, when, I, when I hear about it, it makes me sad. Kind of the IRA situation and the, the whole situation on Ireland. Um, because I don't have, really have a right to opinion. So if anybody asks me what's my opinion, in, I don't really have a right to an opinion. To really, really, it's what, what I, if you ask ask me what I really want, I'd like to see everybody in Ireland get on and the whole island be Ireland, but it can't. And I know that can because it'd be nice to see that. Yeah, nice to see that. I don't think we have any right in any say in what happens in Ireland. I'd just like everybody to get on, have a big party, yeah. get pissed. You know what, that, that is actually on. yeah, really nice. Just want yeah, everyone yeah. to get along. <laughs> Yeah, that's in the world, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. seems strange that intelligent people in Ireland, I've seen loads of intelligent on both sides, they just seem to want to fuck each other up um, through history and time um, and religion and shit like that. Just shake mm. hands, have a party and all wear green. That'd do, wouldn't it? There you go. Yeah, but someone said just wear orange and say no. But yeah, I mean, what going to the Falls Road and, and things and Shanklin and um, seeing so it, it, to me, it's it's not been a place I want to go. A lot of my friends have been there. I get that. Yeah, I mean, I've not even been to Ireland. I've got family there. Oh, I'm even a quarter Irish good. somewhere down the line, I believe. But all English people are, aren't they? A bit Irish. There you go. Mm. There you go. Then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we won't dwell too much on the Irish bit because it's me. <laughs> we yeah. know ourselves. It's pretty boring here. We don't got the dark tourist spots. But um, I, I was wondering why you weren't in the. Uh, the uh, the UK episode or the Europe episode where you had like well, the uh... what you mean the military makeup bag of yeah. shit he come yeah. over to me right David on that when when they came he he come and in, interviewed me to see if I was right for the Dark Toys and he just finished filming the reenactments in the UK um, and he asked me what I think I said that of pricks um, and to be honest you know like they they have these fake wars and I suppose in their heads these knobs are actually are fighting and because that's when you know they've got this make-believe in their head and I think they're absolutely nuts I'd love to bring one of them right with me you yes. know if you want to really see this make-believe yeah, come and have a look come and see what it is and how can you dress up as a Nazi how the fuck can you do that no here's the thing some of them were German German people coming over and dressing as Nazis and like they'd get Put in jail after that at home, and they said that like. But what what got me was, they weren't calling them Nazis when they had the uniform on because they're saying they just represent the uniform like they're not actually that person. They were calling them Germans instead of Nazis in the reenactment. I thought that was messed up. Well, it's bollocks, because isn't it? Because they're Nazis. That's there's what a they big were, difference between really? a Nazi, a German, and a normal German person yeah. in the year 20, 19, 2020. Yeah, exactly. When they're reenact, when they're carrying out the reenactments, they were Nazis. So mm. yeah, there you go. Cut the bollocks out. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, so, if you're listening, so that, shut up. Yeah, cut the bollocks out. Because I tell you what, that's why probably it is. I think with because the conversations with um, Netflix and David at that period of time is I wanted to take him to war. Um, David, um, we'd had a great trip in the Donbass um, in the Ukraine because it was the conflict was was up and going then, and I wanted to take him out of his um, comfort zone. And he wanted to, to be honest, he had the bollocks to do it, but um, Netflix um, obviously wouldn't allow it because he's halfway through the series. Um, but he's got some bollocks. He really has. He's, he's going to make a great present. He's going to do some really shit-hot stuff. He really is. I hope he is because yeah. um, he's better than Louis Fru in my eyes. You see that um, thing, like your man, the Manson guy who called him like the... The cheap uh, Louis Oh, the cheap version Louis Theroux, yeah. He'd have laughed yeah. at that because he's got a great sense of humour as David. He would have gone, he'd have thought that was funny. He'd have loved yeah. it. But anyway, my film would be beating that anyway. This, honestly, when it comes out, I'd love maybe you play this podcast again because sure. the movie's going to be quite a big deal. It's got quite a lot of financing and, and it should be really got, got a book out around about the same time. So I might ask oh, you wow. guys in Ireland if you do well. Yeah, if... Um... out. Yeah, but when you're having a book coming out, give me a shout and uh, I'd love to get it and give it a read. I'll have a, have a word with David and all, because me and David are still friends after this, ironically, and I don't think we... If there was a Netflix 2 come out, I was in it. Um, yeah. I'd already been asked and approached by the production company to take part in um, Dark Tourist 2. So it does happen eventually, but fucking Zac Efron got some sort of shitty travel show and took the budget. Um but hopefully, if it does happen again, because it's such a popular show, I'll get a chance mm. to do a couple. So David watches this. And I would have asked David to come on, um, maybe. That would have been a good scoop for you, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would have been something would've... special. Yeah. But haven't you wanted <laughs> something special too? Like, Well, may, may, maybe in July. Um, it might be a bit different when the film airs. Mm. Yeah. It'll be, be, be hopefully quite a big deal. Yeah. Because um, there's yeah. some shit going on in this film. Yeah. Um, so I know you're a busy guy you gotta head off but I want to finish on one last story uh, uh-huh. it blows my mind you, you've chilled with cannibals before oh yeah the cannibal story and this is true um, Nagaland in India um, what a fucking place that is um, it's in the, it's the middle of the jungle of India it's about these um, tribes called the headhunters um, up until the 1990s anybody they'd have a war these tribes inside nagaland and that 1990s not too far i know you're young it's probably before you were born but the 90s is not that long ago to us old fellas and they would were still cutting heads off and we heard about them in a documentary once again so fuck me i've got to go and see these guys before they become a tourist spot um so we traveled and took days and days to see these guys and we actually met with the king of the headhunters um but the story they told us about the cannibalism, which is everybody kind of wants to hear, because they're a dying tribe now. We were introduced to the skulls, so we know it's true. I mean, this guy opened up this hole, this king of the headhunters, and there must have been 50, 60 skulls. And the story is, and this is how it worked, and it's a true story. Two tribes would fight. They would take two guys hostage, or prisoner, or capture them, or look for them to take capture, to try and put fear so they tried to drag them back to the village and they would behead um, one of the guys. They'd cut his head off to enable them to get their tattoos, the tattoo from head to foot. Then they would cook him um, over a fire. 
And then the other guy that was left would give the option. If he ate his friend, he would eat him. They cut him up and he had the option to eat him. And if he ate him, they, he could go free. But if he didn't eat his fellow tribesmen, they cut his head off too. And Fuck. in the 90s. So they, so all when we're watching Footloose and shit like that on telly, there's a tribe of people lobbing heads off. Um, in the 1990s, they found Christianity. Um, and they've been found ever since. No. They found <laughs> Christians and now um, somehow they now can't face the thoughts of um, returning to their God without um, being on opium. So they're spaced out on opium. Because one night when I was up there in a thing called a long hut, and there was like, a, I would have said 10, 15 of these tattooist murderers. Because um, the more tattoos, the more people they cut heads off of. And every guy we had was sitting around a fire, smoking crystal meths and um, telling stories and snorting opium. And so we're falling asleep and we sleep in this long hut with 20 mass murderers. It was a sobering thought for a night's sleep. But thankfully, they found their God. Um, there you go. But next time, I'll have to come on and tell you some of the other stories, if you want me. When the film's out, I, I promise you I'll come back. Because like celebrities, and hopefully this film will elevate me, not to a celebrity, because I don't want to be one of them fuckers. Um, although it'll give me a bit more of a name than even Netflix did, that I'll come back. And I won't. I promise you won't do any other podcasts, because you Irish fellas might, might and I promise you come back when that comes out. And tell you a few more stories because the film will generate a few more yeah uh, I, I really appreciate that um can you remind us all when it should be out um it's going to be out um it'll be out it's it's going to premiere in hollywood um somewhere around los angeles back in june july and then it'll go on um it'll either be on netflix it's been bought by um, a broadcaster i can't tell you about or they're, they're a really big broadcaster, but you will see it in the UK on Netflix or, or I don't know, Amazon or something's had it. So you, it will be here sometime next year. But I'll tell you, boys, I'll give you first exclusive when it's out. How about that? <laughs> Fucking love I like it. Well, you know what that means? That means a lot to me. So, you know what, Andrew? So we like you too, buddy. Yeah, we're well, well, time. That date in my calendar there. So um, if anyone wants to check you out, they want to keep up with what you're doing, uh, where can they find you? They can find me anywhere. I mean, look out for me on Twitter. It's nice to have, as you can see, you contacted me on Twitter and, I, and I'm and i not one of these twats to go, That's I'm not fast. to talk to people. Um, I want to talk to these guys. Uh, they're, they're good lads and they've sent me a tweet. And I'll do that to anybody. Anybody wants to ask about what I do, I'm quite happy to talk about it like someone to tell stories. So look me out on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. You can find a few old videos, but most of the stuff now. So look out for me and I'll announce something on Twitter, mate. But thank you for being interested. I'm... Really appreciate your time, boys. Of course. Well, thank boys. you, because you got the stories. We just wanted to hear them. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Too. Good luck so, uh, for the future. Speak to you shortly. Bye. 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 Take it, Andy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for watching. So, if you enjoyed that, make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Maybe tell your grandma about the podcast. Maybe. Take it, Andy. Good luck to you.